All right, we start with on uh, today's office. Uh, before we start, of course, I just want to say that uh, together with um, all of Kaisha, uh, we mourn the passing of the uh, three Israeli teens Yaakov Naftali ben Rachel Zvora, Gilad Michael ben Batgalim, and Ayah ben Iris Tishura. Um, you know, we as a, with all of Kaisha have been praying for them over these last few weeks, and uh, as we learned. In Masecha Ta'anit, sometimes the prayers are not answered, and uh, there comes a point where sometimes the uh, period of praying has to transition into a period of mourning and uh, accepting the uh, the loss, accepting the tragedy. So uh, we all, um, there's going to be, there was last night, there was, of course, a gathering, um, prayer vigil, vigil a memorial vigil um, and um, in, uh, in Midtown, and uh, we just uh, will continue to find opportunities together with Israel to to mourn their passing and to wish nechama uh, for their families and for and for all of Israel. At the end of our daf, we'll say a kelmale in their memory. Um, so we resume now um, on Yeteramad Bet with uh, Tanya. I'm Rabbi Eliezer ben Pratam. Yom Shechar Beit Hamikdash. The line starts with the word Hamikdash. It's about 20 lines down in the wide lines. Yom Shechar Beit Hamikdash. Natsu Gishamim Simukim. From the time that the Beit Hamikdash was destroyed, rains uh, have become raisins. No, <laughs> the rains have become uh, shriveled up. We don't have the rains the way they used to be when there was a Beit Hamikdash. Laolam Simukim Laolam. Yeshana Shegishuma. Um, so it's always you know less than it used to be. True, there are years in which the rains are many, plentiful years in which the rains are are scarce. There's times which, as we know, we learned earlier, it's not just about how much rain; it's about the timing of the rain. There are times when the years rain in the right time. Times doesn't come in the right time. When it comes in the right times, what is that year's like? Um, a slave that the master gave him his, uh, you know, his uh, sustenance, the flour that he'll need to, or you know, the, the raw materials he'll need, or the food that he'll need for the week on, the, on Sunday. So the bread is uh, baked in its right time, and it's eaten in its right time. You know, you have, uh, you have all the stuff, um, and you can prepare, and you can do things, and give things the time that they need. Um, um, uh, um, when the rains do not come at the right time, um, what is that? That you have your food, you're given all your food at the last minute on Arab Shabbat. The bread is not baked in the right time. It doesn't, you don't have the time to do it properly. And it's eaten not in the right time. Again, it's a little bit funny what the need is for the mashal. You would think that people would understand, you know, sort of uh, transparently what the problem is when the rains don't come at the right time. But the, probably the power is not in making you understand the, um, you know, the... Uh, the practical implications of uh, not having rain in the right time and how it will affect the crops, but it's again to uh, re, um, resurface that image of the Eved and the Rav, um, which in a way goes back to the very first Mishnah, right, which is when it rains on um, Sukkot, it's a Siman Klala. And the Siman Klala of it raining on Sukkot is that famous mission of Sukkot, which is when it rains, it's like what? It's like the servant comes to serve water to the master, and the master right, spills it on the servant. 
So again, the whole idea of rain is God communicating with us and is evoking this relationship where the, where, 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 where the, where the servants, God is the master. What do we read in to this? So presumably, again, the purpose of this metaphor is not like, oh, look, things will be difficult if it rains at the wrong time. But no, thinking about this in terms of our relationship and our dynamics with God to me seems to be the point of making this metaphor okay and then it goes on and says um, we just did it okay um, if there's a lot of rain what's it similar to so the master got his uh, gave, gave, gave the servant his, uh, his sustenance all at one time um, so meaning not just day by day presumably although it's a little bit funny because we just have spoke about getting it on Sunday presumably for the week so Rashi here says it means you've got the whole years to, uh, all at one time so yeah you, you, you know you've got, you got a lot of stuff so it's not just enough time to plan for that you need a week so what's the implications of having all of this you know well well in advance so um, okay yeah so what you get is you get the economy of scale that now when you are going to grind it in the millstone the amount of waste that comes out of a core which is a huge amount right is is only equivalent to the normal amount of waste that comes when you do a cob which is a small amount okay so the amount of waste is going to be the same presumably I don't know why it's that proportional but presumably there is this um, you know economy of scale so if you're doing a, a lot at a time then it's the same amount of, of you know of sort of of, um, of, of food that, or that goes to waste but it's a tiny it's a very tiny percentage and similarly that, um, that when you make the, the flour into dough the amount that gets wasted uh, from a whole core's worth of dough is, is equivalent only to the tiny amount that gets wasted when it's a cough. So the same objective amount is going to be wasted, but when you do a larger scale, obviously then the, the implications are, you know, is much more efficiency. What? When it's a lot of rain, yeah. No, 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 no. First we did the comparison early versus late, and now we're doing the comparison a lot versus a little. Right, so there's the two things, okay? So early versus late is you have enough time and you do things in enough time. Others you're rushed. A lot is you have the economy of scale. Um, again, which is like bizarre. Isn't a lot just better? I mean, that turns too much. What's the whole point of the metaphor? Um, but maybe the idea is that there are hidden benefits of the a lot of rain that you otherwise, you know, maybe not wouldn't have, wouldn't have appreciated. Is it a lot or is it concentration? Um, we, yes, yeah, so the so that's true. That's the problem with the metaphor, meaning that the 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 the, the case is a year merubim as opposed to year matim, which basically is not concentration; it's just absolute quantity. But the metaphor is: Are you getting it uh, like the whole year's worth at once, or spread over time? So that's what I said. I don't exactly get why the metaphor is necessary, and like it doesn't even exactly parallel. But again, maybe the only point is sometimes there are these economies of scale. These other hidden benefits you don't realize. There's a note in Rashi that says when a large amount falls at one time, more water reaches the productive soil. 
and when the rain, uh, when the amount of rain is spread, right? So that exp- oh, so, oh, so that explains the economy of scale. There's always going to be a certain amount that's absorbed in the ground before it becomes productive. So if you get a lot, then the amount that needs to get absorbed is a tiny proportional to the amount that actually pierces through and is, and, and is able to be as helpful. So thank you. That's helpful. So there is uh, there is a similar type of economy. There's a similar type of a benefit that the amount that goes to waste is proportionally a smaller amount. You know, in that case. Okay. Um, Okay, what worry? Okay. You only get it bit by bit. Okay. And again, here the comparison is not exact because this is, seems to be the same amount but spread over time. So now it's the opposite. Just the, the sa- I mean, it's the exact same point, but it's like, oh, the same amount of waste that would come from a huge amount is now coming from a small amount. And the same amount of waste in making the dough that would come from a huge amount is now coming from a small amount, which means the amount of waste is always an absolute, you know, um, um, amount. And, but now the proportions are much more against you because you do not have the economy of scale. And somehow, as was pointed out, right, Rashi says that when it rains a lot, there's a certain amount that is not going to be beneficial, and therefore it is a much smaller proportion when there is a lot of rain. Okay. The person that is um, that is like uh, uh, making uh, um, uh, 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 what's the plaster. Uh, if there's a lot of water to add to the mix as he's uh, making the plaster. The water doesn't run out, and the uh, plaster gets made very well. If you only have a very scarce amount of water, then you run out of the water, and the plaster does not get made well. Again, very funny, what is the need exactly to give this metaphor? And I can't even say what I said before about the Evid and the Rav, because here there's no Evid and Rav. So, anyway, Tanu Rabbanan. Okay, new Brisa. One day, one time, all of the Jewish people came to on the regular to Jerusalem. Almost sounds like it's quoting last week's parsha, right? They didn't have water to drink. So Nachdimon ben Goryon went to a certain wealthy person, um, not clear, Jewish or not Jewish. Amarlo, he said to me, we'll see later in the story if he comes any clearer. Amarlo, lend me 12 springs of water, 12 wells of water for those that are coming up for the, for the regalim. Exactly how do you lend the wells? Let us use the wells. Okay. And I will pay you back. Not, also not exactly because it doesn't mean I'll pay you back all the water that they drank. I'll give you back what I took, then it's no benefit, then why would I lend it to you? But okay, maybe I'll give you, I'll give you other ones in addition to these ones. Let's say for now it means I'll give you back the water that they drank. The any lecha, and I don't pay you back the water that they drank. The uh, I will give you twelve talents of silver, an enormous amount of money, huge amount of money. Yeah, 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 huge amount of money. It sounds also a little bit like a, what do you call it? Um, a merchant of Venice. 
right? If I don't know, okay. No, people don't see the comparison. What? <laughs> that was flesh. I do understand that it's like a huge consequence. Well, we'll see what will happen, okay? A huge consequence if you don't make it by the right time. Uh, maybe that was a weird comparison. And he said it first time. So the time came and it had not yet rained. Okay, it was time to pay back. He had thought that by this time it would already rain and he would give them back the wells and they would be, it would have rained, they would have refilled with water. Now he's giving them back the wells and they're still uh, mostly uh, empty. Of course, you know, the Rashi raises the question that don't the, if they're Ma'ya note, don't they refill from underground, from underground sources? Uh, not exactly clear. Uh, it could be, but it says Ma'ya note. Yeah, anyway, okay, the low yard of Gishamim, the Shachri and in the morning he sent him, send me either the water or the money you owe me. That I have in your hands, meaning that you owe me. Wait, 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 there's still time. I've got the rest of the day. But in the afternoon he sent him, send me either the water or the money. Hey, I still have time in the day. And the, and the afternoon he sent him. Give me water or money. It's only mincha time. I still have time. I still have time in the day. So that wealthy person, uh, you know, mocked him. You had a year, so that's interesting. You had a year to pay back. Or no, maybe you didn't have a year to pay it back, but it hasn't rained for a year. As was pointed out, it doesn't any naturally rain over the summer. Here everybody is coming up in, uh, in uh, you know, circus time. We just had situations in which it doesn't rain in circus time, and you're already at Pesach time. And, you know, that was the story of Choni HaMegel, that was Pesach time. So it's been about a year since the last rains. So, so for a whole year it hasn't rained. The Asham Yerdu Gishamim, now you think on this very last minute of the last, day that you have to pay me back it's going to rain he went into the bathhouse in joy and of course as the Maharsha points out he was even further mocking him he's there going to use the water you know to just you know to bathe himself when everybody else is like you know needs water presumably for even more basic human needs so while the wealthy person was going in and joy into his uh, into the bathhouse Nachtimon went into the Beit HaMikdash Keshu Atzev, when he was uh, in, uh, in, in sad and, uh, and anguished, he wrapped himself, presumably in his talus, and he stood in tefillah, in prayer, and he said to God, Master of the universe, I did not do it for my honor, I did all of this for your for your honor. Right? I wasn't doing a business deal. I wasn't doing anything to get any credit. I was just trying to help out the tzibur. I was trying to get water for those that are coming up for the regal. Immediately the heavens were darkened with clouds and rain came down. Until the twelve springs, uh, you know, wells of water filled up back with water. And then there was even more water. So now we go back. So the master is now walking out of his bathhouse. He's it's raining. And Akdimon Ben Gurion is coming out from the Beit Hamikdash. When they encountered one another, Amarlo, Tainli the Maimayim, Yoter Sheishli Biatchas. So Akdimon said, "Hey, I'm returning the wells to you. The wells filled up with water while they were still under my, you know, uh, they were still rented to me. They were still borrowed to me. So all the water that they filled up with." 
is now mine. So not only am I paying you back what I owe you, but give me that leftover water. Um, I'm a so he said back to me, I know that God, so presumably he was Jewish, right, because he doesn't say your God, but I know that God did not, um, you know, cause the world to be uh, tremble, ex- except for your sake, you know, bring about all this change in nature that all of a sudden it rained and it rained with such force. All of this was for you. I still have a, uh, I still have a, 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 a taina, well, not taina, like also like a challenge. That I will be able to get my money back, my money from you, those 12 uh, talents of silver. The sun already set, and uh, the rain, it rained into my wells, not into your wells. The rain came after the sun set, so it's my rain. So, but shuti yardu. He went back into the temple. He wrapped himself in prayer. And said to God, Master of the universe, Know that you have those that are beloved in your world. So what happened? The clouds separated, scattered. And the, sh- and the sun shone forth. So he was able to see that although it was very, very dark because of all the rain clouds, it was still day. At that moment, the, ma- the wealthy person said to him, If the sun had not pierced through the clouds, I would have had a challenge against you. That I could have re- taken my money for you, but now uh, I have to, you actually succeed. So, very powerful story, or very, you know, but the question also is like, what is the is there like a bigger message here and I do think it's interesting number one as I said there is a little biblical echoes of um, what do you call it of like why am I in and also it was Shemus Re Ma'ayanot Shemus Re Ma'ayanot Ma'ayim that is what B'nai Israel get when they leave you know when they leave Israel which makes it a harder to understand because if they were wells it would have worked better but the Ma'ayanot evokes the, the, the 12 Ma'ayanot Ma'ayim that they find when they leave Mitzrayim so there are some interesting biblical echoes um, I'm sure something could be said about that to me, though, there's also an interesting to hold this side by side to the Choni Hanagel story. If it's been a year since there's been rain, then it's probably Pesach time, not 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 uh, you know not um, not uh, what do you call it Sukkot time. And opposed to Choni, where it is you know it's about like his 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 almost you know his self-assuredness, if not his arrogance, in his own ability to sort of get God to do what you know what God what, what he wants God to do, and he just says, yeah, go ahead, take out, take in the Tanurei Pesachim. He's so self-confident. Right here, you have a person that's more a little, you know, sort of the non-charismatic approach to this, an approach that works better within sort of the rabbinic, you know, sort of, you know, a type of a establishment approach, as opposed to Choni, who could be, you know, a threat to the rabbinic establishment because of his, you know, supernatural powers, as it were. So here's a person trying to do it, you know, in a very pragmatic way and take a type of responsibility that's presumably available to all. You know, what does it mean to go ahead? You know get and make a business deal, spend some money, try to do the practical things that are necessary. And in the end of the story, in the end what happens? He doesn't like order God around. He doesn't draw little circles. He also, by the way, goes into the Beit HaMikdash. He doesn't go into his circle, right? So the fact that Choni is going into his circle um, at a time when there is a Beit HaMikdash, which seems sort of, you know, clear from the context of that story, and we know Choni lived in that time, again sort of emphasizes his, you know, that he's operating outside of the normal establishment, outside of the normal centers of, you know, of Kiddushan, of God's presence, and so on. It's all about, you know, his unique relationship to God. Here he goes into the Beit HaMikdash, he doesn't make any demands, right, you know, he just prays, God, please help us, 
And here God, of course, responds in the very appropriate way. He didn't have to go through all of the harsh rains and the light rains, and, you know, and that type of a back and forth. God is much more immediately responsive here, right? And to the point that even, you know, this other miracle that follows off, uh, that follows up. And Yeshu Ohavim, you know, you have those that, you know, you have those that love you, meaning, uh, again, it's much more all-encompassing. Choni, it's you, Choni, are ben bias. Here it's like God, you know, there are people in this world trying to, you know, trying to do the right thing, help us out. So even while he was the one that sort of did it, you know, his approach and his, to God is much more about, not about him personally. So I think that, I think in my mind, this is a really, you know, an important contrast to the Chonia Mergel story. All right, you had a question before? Yeah, um, this... Uh, in secular law, there is very extensive detailed laws of water rights. Uh-huh. Uh, this would imply that there might be some sort of way that you can buy and sell water holistically. Right. Uh, is there such a thing? Yeah, I mean, sure. Water is like any other object. I mean, and if it's your well, it's your water. And if it rains in your well, then you're conet because of Kinyan Chatzer. So, yeah, it's treated as, you know, as any other commodity. So, but yes. Uh, by the way, I did, by the way, mis- mis- misread the word. It's not Oavim, it's Ahuvim. Not those that love you, but those that you love. Right. But again, even though it's Ahuvim, it's in the plural. It's not Choni, who is a Ben Bayez. You, Choni, are the one special person in the world. There are those that you love, and there's those that you care for. So again, and by the way, here was a person that was most of himself for the Tzibur. He was proactive, right? And he was acting on behalf of Choni, waited for everybody to come to him. Right? And they, they had a club for him. He wasn't doing anything proactively. He didn't demonstrate any profound, you know, proactive concern for the keyboard. So there's a lot of important contrasts here. Yes, David. I, I think the story is really clear. It's probably a sister and not a well. Right. <laughs> that, that what he's doing is he's saying, I want to lease these wells for you and I'll return them to you. Right. The time comes to give them back and have some range so the sisters are empty. Right. And he goes and he says, you know, God, I didn't put up a big sign. Right, exactly. Right. So, what's your question? Oh, your question about the need of tefillah. So that's a good question, but I think that's a question that you can sort of ask, you know, the entire mesechet. Like, what's the point of tefillah? God doesn't know what we're doing. God doesn't know our masin. God doesn't know our kavanot. Right. 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 So that's the that's the tefillah tanit when there is this uh, like uh, this this distancing. But how do we understand the daily tefillah? Right. Here it sounds like like God missing the calculation. I don't think God so. I don't know, when, when Moshe says, you know, um, you know, you know, what will Mitzrayim say, and what will this, and how will, you know, and remember the, the, the breach of the Avot, God doesn't know those things. Okay, uh, okay so I know that's a general question about the efficacy of Tefillah, so I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> okay, but anyway, but you are right. I mean, I don't understand the word Mayanot, but the, but I, other than that it evokes the biblical Mayanot, but I think it only does make sense that it's sisters. But yes, why does Tefillah make a difference is not, is, is is, is a you know is a question that goes all the way back. All right, so now the Gemara says like this. Maybe, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have before? Yeah. Maybe that's the point of the interposition of the 
rains too early, rains too late, rains to the last minute, the Baal giving the money, the giving all Arab Shabbos. And the relationship is constantly waxing and waning and needs and needs nurturing and needs attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we have to recognize, you know, when we get it late, we still have to make do and when it comes on time then it's a little bit better and right. the interposition between those two stories. Right, and maybe he was just making like hoping that like, you know, by chance things would work out in his benefit and now he actually is sort of bringing God more directly into the equation. So even though David, going back to your point, right, even though he did what he did, he didn't ever, he didn't earlier say, "God, please help me that this will all work out in time, that it will rain in time." He's not only now first explicitly bringing God, you know, into it. What so, right. Doesn't necessarily mean that the God is going to take the initiative and provide things for us. Just bless us always. Right. Um, but when we call out to him, we, 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 it wasn't until he actually you know, wrapped right. himself and, and, and prayed right. that God then responded. So I wonder if it's, it's what they're suggesting is there's a, there's a connection between the two. And I taking the initiative Right. Right. I think so, and I think that's you know gets back to what Jonathan was saying, which is I think that yeah, I mean look, the Rav Salvechik talks about this you know a lot as well, which is that um, you know in terms of the like the or him you know the tefillah part of it is not you know is our own acknowledgement that or our own expression of the idea that how we, you know, of our dependency on God and that it's God that is, you know, that we need God, you know, God's help in all of these things. And until you say that, it's not like you're just persuading God because you're saying the words. It's actually your, it's, a, it's, a, it's about the relationship as well. You're acknowledging how, that you're, you know, your need for God, which you haven't yet sort of said or acknowledged. So I think you're right that these things are, you know, you need to be constantly in that, you know, in that communication. I, did, I just, that, did I misphrase what you were saying? It's okay, yeah. And maybe some parallel to the mom in the desert when uh, the person who was more righteous received it more readily, right? Less, right, less readily in terms of this rain. Right, right. All of these are about, yeah, so I, I would say that the point here of tefillah is, you know, is always that issue about sort of acknowledging God and, and sort of bringing, you know, you know, and, 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 re, and, and, uh, and um, sort of revisiting that relationship. Um, yes. Right. 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 It wasn't depending upon God. Right. Right. Um, similarly, a cistern is a technological innovation. Uh huh. It, it takes man out of the natural water cycle uh-huh. and it's innovative. Not uh-huh. similar from the program of Yosef at Sabi in Israel. Uh-huh. And also the earlier comments from the last page about you know, what happens when you get all your provisions in one, you man has to do Right, right. Um, and and I, I actually think that maybe the only answer to know is that, that the rabbis perhaps mm-hmm. um, understood that the cistern and, and uh, aqueducts and the, all this right. kind of stuff is going outside the relationship. And I think Right. We're supposed to do that. But, right. We're still supposed to be... He'd bring God in the... Right, have God as part of that relationship. Right. It's not going outside, right? It's doing your issue. Exactly, exactly. You know, so so I think both of those are true, and I get it for the way I'm reading it is also that that's 
just also a clear contrast to the Choni story because Choni is working in supernatural ways and here, you know, this guy Nakdimon is actually acting in more natural ways, more this-worldly ways than even the Masechet has been, which always focused on prayer. He says, what's all with this prayer? Let's actually, you know, let's start trying to address the problem. So, but he's... Right, exactly, exactly. So I think that that's in, all of those are legitimate points and it's, again, an important contra- contrast to the Choni story. Okay. Tanu Rabbanan. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, first, a uh, wide line here. Tana. Lo Nakdimon Shemo Ela Boni Shemo. His name wasn't nak- really Nakdimon, it was Boni. So, why many Shemo Nakdimon? Because the sun pierced through, so Nakdimon, I guess the name from Chama. Although we'll see another use of the mem in a minute. Um, the, the sun pierced through for his sake. Tanu Rabbanan. Shlosha Nikdima. So now it's nik, not Nikdira Koder to pierce through, but Nikdima preceded Lehem Chamaba Avuran. The sun sort of did not stay back for their sake, did not set in its right time. Moshe Yoshua Venakdimon Ben Guryon. So, that's a tradition. That's how we know it. Now, all of a sudden, the story has changed. Not just was it rain and that, you know, and it was, okay, God intervened, but in a natural way, and the sun shone through the clouds, but actually, the sun should have set, and that's why it really shouldn't have been being paid back the date. And God kept the sun, held the sun back from setting so that he would be able to pay back his debt. So now we actually have him as doing something as equally, or God doing something as equally miraculous for him as God did for Yoshua, and we'll still see, soon see Moshe. Yeah. Understand it, the opposite to it, but the same meaning. In other words, it rained on his behalf, right? Did it not rain for him? He, yeah. Right. So Kedar means to darken. Oh. The side mm, yeah, but it, but that wasn't the verb used before, right? It yeah. says no. You're right. It says bizarre, no, but bizarre. wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So, oh, so the Adon said ilulo nikdera chama hayali so, but I, but I see your point. Maybe there's a double, a, 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 a play. Okay, that could be. But here, it, clearly, it's about the sun not setting. Yoshua Nami Kroxi. By Yoshua, it's a verse. By Yidom Hashemesh Hamad. So Moshe is the only one we don't know had this miracle occur to him. So where do we know this from? So Rabbi Eliezer asks you, Echel, Echel, Echel. Ksivach, Echel, Teis, Pachtecha. God says, Moshe, I will begin to give you your, your fear. Tachas, Kol, Hashemayim. The Ksiv, Hashem. And says, By Yoshua, Echel, Gadlecha, I will begin to raise you up. Rabbi Yosha, with same tremendous you know, that captain Yoshua occurred to Moshe. Rabbi Shmuel Manachmeni Amar Asya taste taste. Ksivach Achel taste pachducha by Moshe. I'll begin to place your fear, the fear of you. The Ksivach Sam Biyom taste Hashem as Emori. So by Yoshua. So Gzeira Shava. Rabbi Yosha Amar Asya Migufe Tekra. It's implicit in the verse. Asher Yishmuna Shimachav Ragzuve Chalumi Panacha. God says to Moshe, they'll hear of your of your reputation and they'll tremble and fear from the pre- your presence. So when would that be? Why are they going to fear Moshe's presence? How do they know about Moshe? It must be the same miracle occurred. I don't know exactly how you get that run the balls. Like something maybe happened, but exactly that miracle is not clear. But again, here now you do have this amazing thing, right? Because you have this person who's basically what he did was operated in the most this-worldly way, right, this Nakdimon, and he's getting the same miracles 
that Moshe and Yoshua and the same changing of nature, you know, the most, the most tremendous, you know, change of natural laws. It's not just that it rains, that Moshe and Yoshua got. So it's really, I think, a powerful message about, not that people will have these miracles done for them, but about, you know, the, this worldly type of leadership that he embraced and the power of that. Okay, now back to the Mishnah, a city that does not have rain, if it rain in some city, you know, and one city and on another city, and the whole issue was that the city that didn't have rain, you know, uh, would fast, and the other city would not fast, but then other types of things with the surrounding cities or villages would participate in a lesser way. And it quotes the Pasuk, and the Pasuk is, I'll bring rain on one city, not on the other. So, you would think that the city that gets rain is a bracha, and the city that doesn't get rain is a klala. It's possible they'll both be a curse. Now, this isn't exactly spelled out, but at least anyway, the way some of the commentators say, it means that, it, well, if, if it means that those that don't have will then all go to buy their grain from the other city, it's not exactly clear how that's a curse. That's good for, the bi- good for business. So some say it means that, no, the city that does have could have that it could have too much rain. No, so, so, what? Okay, it creates, uh, if, if, if the demand outstrips the supply, so yes. Ah, that's a good point. Good, ah, okay. Oh, you don't know yet how it could be good and how it could be bad for those that have, the, that got the rain? There'd be more of a shortage if both of them didn't have rain. <laughs> so how the presence of rain is bad. So anyway, Rashi says that it means that it's just that it would be too much rain. Sometimes too much can also be a klala, even though you don't pray for Rov Gishamin. Anyway, it's not so clear. Now we're going to go have a number of statements on Amrav Yudamarav doing the reverse. Taking verses that look like a curse and saying that they're really a blessing. Okay. Exactly. Excellent point. Mentioning that, we're going to get to Bilam in a minute anyway. So Jerusalem was for a nida, like a menstruate women among them, obviously showing the way that a nida um, in, you know, in ancient society would have been treated as an outcast, larger discussion. That's a blessing. The same way a woman who's a nida eventually becomes permissible to her husband. If the Yushalayim will be once again in its former state, nida is not a permanent status. She was like a widow. There's a blessing in that. Like a widow. Not a real widow. A woman whose husband has gone overseas, maybe she hasn't seen him for years, but eventually he'll be coming back. I have placed you that you, um, you know, uh, 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 degraded and lowly. There's a blessing in that. That they don't, because the non-Jews think that we're so lowly and despicable, they don't make us tax collectors and they don't make us, uh, you know, soldiers or uh, some say it means like officers, like police officers that would like, you know, uh, beat people. We don't get these jobs which are jobs of status but also jobs that are morally, uh, you know, deeply problematic. I mean, you know, because the Jews were so despised that they weren't allowed to own land is how they got to be money lenders and how they got to be right was a you know was a you know, became a major source of uh, of of, of uh, serious of, ser- of antagonism but also of serious of wealth you know so sometimes that became sometimes there was a hidden blessing in some of that pushing them to those other professions 
God will smite the uh, Jewish people the same way the reed will, wait, will sway in water. There's a blessing in that. What does it mean? Trustworthy are the smites of, one, of, 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 of the one who loves you. And burdensome, question exactly how to translate that word, but burdensome are the kisses of one who hates you. Um, so you'd rather get hit by your friend than, uh, than, than kissed by your enemy. So what does that mean? So, Tovak Kilel Shiloni. So this pasuk about the uh, reed swaying in water was from the uh, Navi Achyah Shiloni. So better is that is that curse that, she, that he cursed at Israel Yoter mi Bilam There you go. So not so the is better than the blessing of Bilam. Curse them and the that they would be like a reed. Israel. He said to the Jewish people, So let's think about it. The reed can stand in a place of water. Stands number one. It grows in a place of water. Right. It's there in the middle of the water. and it constantly is like replenishing its stalk. The Sharashav Mirubim and has very many and deep roots. No matter how strong the winds are, they don't move it from its place, right? It's very flexible and its roots are deep. It sways with the wind. Um, and when the wind stops, it's still where it always was. So the ability to sort of, on the one hand, be deeply rooted, and on the other hand, be able to deal with all of the terrible things that pass over, um, and that, you know, that, there's a blessing in that. The wicked Bilam blessed them with a, with a cedar. Shene'emar, as the verse says, like cedars by the water. They take out that part of Alemayim in a minute, you'll see why. Because cedars normally, although the verse says Alemayim, but nevertheless, cedars normally do not stand in a place of, uh, where there's a plentiful water. The Engizo Machalif, and its trunk does not replenish. The Engizo Machalif, Merubim, and does not have very deep roots. While it's true that normal winds cannot move it from its place, once a strong southern wind comes, that can uproot it from its place. So, therefore, the idea that you're a lowly reed, there's a blessing in that. It means that you're not, you know, that, that you're able to sway with the winds, right? and you stay rooted, and you'll always be, you know, replenished. Um, and this lowly reed also not only you know is able to survive but also serves very because it's so lowly some gets used in very profound religious purposes through it you write the Torah Nevi'im and Ketuvim so, so Yisrael you know they're, they're, they're of a lowly status in this worldly sense but they're a vehicle of Kiddushah Tanu Rabbanan, a rabbi taught, So using the same imagery we just used, a person should always be as soft, as flexible, as bending as a reed, and not as hard, not as unbending um, as, a, as a cedar. 
Ma'asa Shabbat Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Shimon ben Eliezer, some of the gifts are Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Shimon, Migdal Gedor, very famous story. So Rabbi Eliezer was coming from Migdal Gedor. Now it's interesting just to note what those two words mean, right? Migdal is a, is a castle, a tower, and Gedor is like a fenced-in castle. So he was coming from his academy, from his castle in the sky. Okay, he was coming from having learned Torah in this very hermi- her, you know, her, hermetically sealed environment. From his master's house. He was, um, he was riding, uh, uh, I guess, Rachuv, or Rochev, Rachuv Alachamor, he was riding on the donkey, and he was, uh, you know, um, uh, slowly going by, you know, uh, um, 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 tra- uh, uh, traveling, not traveling, what's the word for Metayel? Um, yeah, anyway, he, w- he wasn't in any rush, he was just, you know, me- strolling. Tro- strolling, strolling by, oh, I don't know if you can I stroll on a donkey. Maybe. Okay, anyway, he was strolling on his donkey there by the riverside. The Samach Simchad Gedolah, and he was feeling very self-satisfied, he was feeling very happy with himself. He was feeling, you know, very proud, very, how great he was. He had learned all this Torah. Because he learned a lot of Torah. Okay, so that's the setup. I do want to say something about riding on, the, on a donkey, and maybe I'm reading a little bit into it, but who else is riding on a donkey? Mashiach, right? So maybe he had a little bit of a messianic complex. He was thinking he was God's gift. He was thinking, oh my God, look how wonderful I am. That's, and he, here he is. Okay. What? Yeah, yeah. What did you say? You have a little Jesus. Right, okay. Sorry, certain other religions. Okay, and he's Damelo Adam Echad. A certain man uh, canst upon him. According to some versions, this is Elio Anavi who's coming to teach him a lesson. Okay, it's not explicit in this story. Shayam Echuar Biyoter, and he was very uh, ugly. He's very, un- you know, uh, uh, unseemly. Um, Amarlo, and he, he this man, um, treated this, uh, this rabbi with respect. Shalom Alecha Rabbi, peace to you, my master. Shalom he did not respond to him. He didn't say, you know, Shalom Alecha. He, he was so beneath his, uh, you know, his, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, his, 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 the worst, he was so, you know, he wasn't even worthy of a response. Um, Amarlo, he, but now he did say to him, like, he didn't respond to him. To respond to him would have made him somehow socially equal. So he refused to respond, but now he has something to say to him, okay, to say down to him. Amarlo, and he said to him, Reka, you empty person, how disgusting you are, how ugly you are. So, like, maybe all the people in your city are as disgusting as you are. So Amarlo, he said back to him, any Yodeya, I don't know. Ella, how, you know, my other people in my city. Ella, but if you've got a problem, go back and tell the craftsman who made me, how disgusting is this uh, vessel that you have made? So I do want to say something else about this, which is also that, right, presumably the message here is, is that the real person who was ugly, right, was the rabbi, right, the sort of the ugliness inside as opposed to the ugliness on the outside. Um, but it's interesting that he calls him reka, empty person, because rake means what's on your inside, right? And that's sort of part of the whole problem here, is that he's calling him reka, but he's looking at the outside, and he's calling him reka. He's not, he's not really see, caring or seeing what's the inside. The other thing is, when he responded, any Odea, right, so presumably most people will know what the people of their city look like. 
right? Mm-hmm. But he actually is sort of saying, like, taking a humble response. You know, I don't know. There are a lot, you know, I, I don't think I know everything, okay? But here, so here's the one thing I do know. This isn't how you talk to people, and this isn't a proper way of religious acting. But as opposed to you, you think you know everything. You know, you came back from yeshiva. Sometimes you have this, anyway, you know, kids come back from Israel all of a sudden, like, they know everything now, okay? <laughs> you think you know everything. You know what's inside of me. You know how to assess me. You know how to value me. Exactly. So you know. So he's also sort of modeling a response of any odea. Um, okay. So I, I I don't know. But here's the one thing I do know. Um, go, okay. So um, okay. So so what? Kivan at As soon as he realized that he had sinned, Yaradmina um, Chamor. He came down off the donkey. So he came off of his high elevated status, coming down to earth. Right? And prostrated himself in front of him. I have now, um, you know, it's an interesting verb because again we have the word lo na'anu, they were not responded, but does this also mean that I am like subjugated to you, you know, why I'm hearing you and I'm responding? How do they translate na'anisi lecha there in English? Na'anisi lecha? I have spoken out of turn? I don't get how do they translate it in the uh, in the, uh, there in Shine's out. Uh, I sinned against. What I sinned against you. What do they say before the word I sinned? Uh, no, you finding it? Okay. Anyway, obviously it means something along those lines. What? And he has a fight with a donkey. No, when he when he can't, you know when he sees the angel. Right. He gets he realizes what's in front of him. Right. And right. Right. Oh, that's a nice point, getting off of the donkey and the, uh, and the sort of realizing real, what you haven't seen and what you've done wrong. It's a nice point. Okay, so anyway, somehow I sinned before you. Oh, no, you're right, Charlie. It's just translating Nanisi. Sincerely, that's what that means in context. I don't exactly get what the, you know, what the, source, what the root of that verb is. Anyway, I have sinned to you, or I've spoken out of turn, from the word like one, I guess, but anyway, I've spoken out of turn. Mecholi, forgive me. Um, Amarlo, and he said to him, any mochelecha, I will not forgive you until you go back to the craftsman that made me, the MLO, and say to him, How disgusting is this vessel that you have made? Now, probably what he's saying is, is that you have not really fully owned how bad it, what it is that you have done. You don't just get a quick, easy forgiveness. Right? There's no tshuva here. I mean, it's just, oh my God, I did something wrong. You know, please forgive me. Where is any sense of doing tshuva? Where is any sense of owning, you know, the, what, uh, the, how offensive this was, not just to me, but to God. So he was following after him until, um, until he came to his city, meaning, um, again, um, um, presumably it means the, city, the rabbi city, as we will see. So the rabbi was following after him until they came to the rabbi city. The people of the city came out to greet him. Peace be to you, Rebbe, Rebbe, our master, our master. So Amalahem, so the uh, this uh, uh, this person, this man who was uh, insulted, said to them, Rebbe, Rebbe, who's this person? You say, Rebbe, Rebbe, the person traveling behind you. Now, by the way, this also gives us a little insight why he did not, when he was on his donkey, he did not respond to him. Right? Can you see now why he wouldn't respond to him when he when he was greeted? What did the What did the guy say to him? He said, Shalom Alecha, Rebbe. What's how's this guy used to be greet, used to being greeted? 
Shalom Aleichem, Rebbe, Rebbe, Mori, Mori, this guy, he's such a disgusting looking guy, he doesn't even know how to address me with all the honor that I deserve, right? So we get a little bit more of an insight of why he refused, you know, why he refused to, you know, and he saw that as a bad reflection on the person. Oh my God, he only calls me Rebbe, right? And obviously what it really is reflecting on is himself. Um, okay. Um, so is, who are you calling this person? Rebbe, Rebbe is the guy behind you. Amr Lahemi said to them, in their Rebbe, if this is a, if, as, as a teacher, all Yarbu Kamosh Chab Yisrael, we're going to play on Rebbe and Yarbu, right? So if this is a teacher, there should not be many of him in Israel. Amrulo, mitnei ma'amar lohem kach. So they, um, so, I mean, they mock, excuse me, why? Right, he said to them, they said to him, why? Amar lohem, he said back to them, kach v'kach look what he did to me. He said, oh, you know, he called me a clean mechuar, how he treated me. Amrulo, they said to him, arfopichein mecholo, nevertheless, we're not coming to make any excuses. You should nevertheless forgive him. Adam gadol batorahu. He is a great person in Torah. I think even there, the idea is, right, he is Gadol, right, and he says, you know, and there's still this sense of, of you know, his feeling, meaning it could just be read that it's a shot. He's a big Talmud Chacham, and nevertheless, but I should also think, again, that it's all getting to the heart of the problem, right, that he has all of his, you know, his status and his sense of how great he is is tied in, you know, is due to his Torah. Not so, you know, so in, in, in the very defense of him, it's also reflecting, you know, he didn't say he's, he's, he's a tzaddik, he's good, it's all about his Torah and how gadol he is by Torah. Um, who? Amar Lahem, he said to them, Bishochem hareni mochelo. For you, not for him. He hasn't done, he hasn't done the right tshuva he needs, he's still a problem. For you, I'll forgive him. As long as he doesn't accustom himself to doing this. Now that is a very bizarre response. He should say, Right? He shouldn't do this at all in the future. What's lo yehi ragil lasot kain? He shouldn't accustom himself to doing it. So you could say he was being just very realistic. Somebody like this is not going to have a real personality change, right? So maybe the best you can do is try to control this attitude and not completely eradicate it. Um, the Maharsha says it means don't practice in a way, don't be mitragel yourself, don't do the types of actions that encourage this type of a attitude. So maybe if you're going to learn, don't like lock yourself off from real people and go riding around on a donkey rather than being down on the earth and, you know, and interacting with, you know, with, with normal people, you know, so, or other types of things that make you feel how high, you know, how lost you are because of the Torah, don't be miragel yourself, you know, don't put your, don't, don't, don't do types of practices that encourage this arrogant way of looking at the world. So immediately this rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Shimon, went in to Darat, presumably to the synagogue, and expounded a person should always be as soft as pliable as a reed and not as harsh as a cedar that's why the reed had a was taken a, a quill to write the Sefer Torah now how is that related who is he talking to the bad guy is the ugly man so, so is he saying, look, this guy didn't forgive me. I said, please forgive me. I traveled after him and he was being Kashuk Eris. That, that would really show somebody who had not at all learned his lesson. I'm not, now, I think that that is a subtext. 
I think that in the, at the at the surface level, what we're supposed to have him understand is um, is a that I need to I need to stop being a party as an Erez and I need to learn a little bit of humility. And B, notice also that the Adam Chuar referred to himself as Klizet, this vessel. A vessel, so he is an ugly vessel, but he is an, a vessel created by God, and God's created a vessel. God, he's he some, you know, doesn't mean that he's just created by God. You use a vessel, right? So here you have something that looks maybe ugly, but ultimately it can be the most profound and sublime vessel. Um, and that's what the kanet is, right? It's lowly, I mean, maybe it's not ugly, but it's lowly, and it becomes the vessel for writing, you know, Tshilin and Mizuzot. So maybe there is, you know, the acknowledgement. I think there are three possible meanings of this rasha. Number one is, I shouldn't have been as haughty. You know, the other thing, which is the parallel, is even a lowly, ugly vessel, you know, can be a, a tremendous vessel of Kiddushah. But I agree with those points, that I also think that he might still, you know, be critiquing this man even at the very end and still might be saying, and you, you should have been more, more responsive than but you actually was. were. But he was fine, because his original thing was not to forgive. Oh, and then he, was, he, he forgave at the end, so there was some, right, that's true, he was pliant at that stage. Not, not because of the rabbi, but because of the people, but that's right, yes. Right, right. Regarding an error as being negative, what about Zadikakamar and you Yeah, that's a problem. Obviously, there are positive images with uh, trees and so on, but we're using this to make this point. Okay, yes. Whichever of the two it may be, although I'd be more inclined to the first one. Yeah. Um, what gets lost in it is, is uh, how uh, fundamentally problematic, is, it seems to me, is the response of the people to to him and uh-huh. they, they told him you, you forgive him anyway because he's a he's a, right a, he's a, a big tomatoso right no, that's the problem. The problem is that he gets a pass. That's ex- exactly, exactly. You know, that's the whole problem is that people give him a pass for this behavior because he's a Talmud Chacham, and in a way that serves as a terrible model for what. Right, I think. Right, I think that that's a very good point. You're right. I don't have an answer to that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. All right. Um, let's just try to read one, begin one more second, section. Now we get to the types of things that you fast in nearby towns or you pray in nearby towns. It's not the same severity because they're con- somehow connected. And the two things that are mentioned in the Mishnah are Dever, this uh, pestilence. Oh, no, I'm sorry. We're not yet to the nearby town thing, are we? Oh, yes, we are. Okay. So it's this pestilence and the falling buildings. So we will see, as some of you already uh, sort of figured out in the Mishnah, that the falling buildings are not that the buildings aren't constructed well, but are is that there's earthquakes or that there's, uh, there's you know, very terrible winds and things that could affect the neighboring towns as well. Tanu Rabbanan, a rabbi taught, It's only if healthy buildings, you know, strong buildings fall down, not if weak buildings fall down. That doesn't prove anything. That's just it's a weak building. Buildings that were not normally fit to fall down and that were constructed in a way that they should have that they that they should have stood for a very long time. But we're not talking ones that were about to fall down. That were not that okay. So the Gemara says those are the same things. Why do you need two, two definitions? Healthy buildings or buildings that are not fit to fall down. Uh, you know, shaky buildings. It's the same way of saying buildings that are fit to fall down. So what's the purpose of saying these two descriptors? 
You can have something that is constructurally sound or made of sound material that's not rotting away, but it is way too tall for its, uh, I guess, it's, you know, for t- so that it will, it's ruyotly tall even though it's not ruyot. Right, so it's not dilapidated, right? It's not a crumbling building. It's made of good, strong, new building materials, but it, the way it's constructed is it still could fall down. Inami, the Kaimina Guda Dinara, or let's say it's built right at the edge of a river, right? So it could be very strong materials, but if the river overflows or eats away at the ground underneath, it could collapse. So there's other reasons it could be fit to fall, in addition to it being, you know, dilapidated and crumbling. Kiahia Shitsa Ru'ua, there was a, there was a, 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 literally like a trembling wall, a, a, a wall that was, a, that was, uh, you know, that was, uh, um, uh, um, in, in, in bad shape. The Havi bin Arda, that was in Narda, that Ravinshmur would not walk under it. Even though that it was there for 13 years, they still said it's constructed in a way that could fall any time. There's always going to be that one moment in time when it actually falls. And they did not take the fact that it had survived for 13 years to say that we don't have to worry about it. Now, presumably, again, the ru'ah here is not, you know, it's funny because it's trying to bring a proof for something that could be well constructed and still maybe about to fall. That was, so that was something that is not ru'ah. Here it's being the wall is defined as ru'ah. But nevertheless, the message seems to be that even if something looks like it's been standing a long time and doesn't look dilapidated, it might be constructed in a way that it could fall in any moment. One day, Ravada Bar Ava visited that place. Amalei Shmuel Rav, and then they were taking a walk with him, and they came to this wall. So Shmuel said to Rav, Nesi Marnakis, let's go walk around the wall like we always do. Amalei, lo tzrich nahidna. No, today we don't have to walk around the wall. Why? Ravada Bar Ava is with us, and he is such a, you know, a um, meritorious, you know, he is such a tzaddik, a virtuous man, that that his merits are, are, are enormous, are below mistafina, I'm not afraid that the wall will fall down, his merits will protect um, so Ravuna Havleahu Khamra. Ravuna had some some wine. Bahu Besaraya in a in a house that was dilapidated. And you say he was afraid to go into the to, to the cellar to get the wine. The whole house could collapse on him on any moment. and he wanted to get his wine out of there. So what did he do? He took Ravadabar Ava there. He he um, and he got in a conversation with Ravadabar Ava. He started talking to him in Torah. They started on a walk. He said, "Oh, look, here's this house. I got some wine." And they continued walking into the house and talking in Torah. Adipani until he got his wine out of the house and he was all along keeping Ravada Barava there talking with in, in Torah. But Basu did not think and then the moment they left the house, Nafaldesa, the house fell down. So Irgis Ravada Barava, so Ravada Barava had a sense of how he was being used. It's funny, until that point he didn't have a sense. He is so caught up in his Torah, as we're going to see, Ravada Barava is like completely immersed in Torah that he wasn't even aware about which house are we in, what's going on here. He's just talking in Torah. When the house actually collapsed, he got a sense about something was up. Okay, so Irgish, he had a sense that something was up. Uh, it did. He got a little bit upset. Yeah. He says the person should never go in a place of danger and say a miracle will be done because maybe even somebody who's deserving the miracle won't be done. And if the miracle is done, it counts against your merits. 
Amar of Khan and Micra, where you see it, the resist, So literally means I'm undeserving of God's kindness, but it basically, but it has been saying, I have been made small because of God's kindness, now that has shrunk my account of merit. So, you know, my wife was, uh, has this mentality or whatever, she's brought up with this mentality. So, like, whenever, like, you know, we get some, like, thing like, uh, like we find a parking space exactly where we need to in Manhattan or something like that, she said, ah, using up some Olam Haba right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, um, but okay, but here you have this person who's protecting them with his tremendous merits. Again, interesting to think how this might be a different image than the Choni HaMe'agel image. Here he's completely even unaware of his powers and what's doing and other people are sort of, you know, using him in this way. And here it's all about Torah, as we will see. So we will continue with this tomorrow. We will, let's just end by saying a uh, Kelmole for the, uh, for the